Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We've been very candid on our show about our mental health because it's important to break the stigma and get the help you need to not only achieve your goals, but to just be happy. Not everyone has time to drive to a therapist, which can be anxiety inducing and a huge time suck. That's why we're partnering with BetterHelp to offer you a better, more cost effective solution. If finances are a barrier to you getting the help you deserve, they even offer financial aid. BetterHelp is a safe, private online environment where you're paired with a professional licensed therapist that specializes in areas of interest such as depression, anger, stress, anxiety, family conflicts, LGBT matters, relationships, grief, sleeping, trauma, and self-esteem. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's a professional counseling service that allows you to communicate in under 48 hours, whether that's through private messages, video, or phone sessions, and you can message your counselor anytime. Fun fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states, so you know that you'll be able to find the right counselor for your unique needs. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com listener. Join over a million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash listener. We love you and hope you'll treat yourself to better mental health in 2022. Now on with the show. The Oracle Welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Single. Hi! Hello! Hi, hi! Hi, hello! It's been so long. It's been so long. It actually hasn't been that long, but it feels really long, because like, I'm used to seeing you every week on screen, and we mm-hmm. have seen each other since our like break. Mm-hmm. But it's not the same. It's not. This is like our own little, it, it kind of feels like our own little pillow fort. Mm-hmm. Where like, nobody else is allowed. Like, no boys, no kids, no parents. Or it's pets. Just, it's just the two of us and, you know, however many of you lovely folks that decide to drop in. And, <laughs> and listen. Sit and sit in the fort with us. Be flies um, on the wall. We've got fleas. I don't know about fairy lights, because those just get those just get tangled. I don't know. They do. And I'm too you know, lazy to hang them up. I gotta be honest. I I really I'm having a hard time convincing my partner, but I really wanna get you know the, those little globe light looking things that like project stars? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, like a planetarium thing. Yeah. Yeah. They have them that they have them now where they almost look like little snow globes. They're like oh. really small and LED and <laughs> but we have like fancy google lights and so and i know i know the second i bring it up he's gonna be like what? are you kidding are you kidding me like they have smart bulbs and then like, the smart bulbs can't make stars <laughs> <laughs> they're not smart enough yet <laughs> yeah that's kind of how i feel about this podcast is it's kind of like our own little club it is and so, we invite you lovely listeners every week to join us in our fort 
or pillow fort. All right, shall we? I'm so excited. Yes. So before the break, I promised that January was going to be all joyful stories. Yes. Joyful January. Because we were sad and talking about <laughs> people dying from eating bread made from other people. Yeah. So. And just like... We talked about other like torture and stuff, but for some reason, the bone bread really got me. Well, and we talked about like pretty much almost the entire indigenous population of the Northeast being wiped out by plague. So yeah. always, always a uplifting topic. You know. Light listening. Forget all that. Clean slate. Clean slate. 2022, here we come. So this week, I am going to be regaling you with the tale of the miracle of 1511. Ooh. For some reason, I thought of Puss in Boots. Like the tale of Puss in Boots. Do you think there's a history behind the lore of that? I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. <laughs> is Puss in Boots acquainted? <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I love leather boots. And hats. He just steals into people's houses and steals <laughs> their boots and hats. And swords. And I was like, oh my god, there's a cat with a knife. <laughs> He somehow developed opposable thumbs, and that's how he holds <laughs> yeah. a sword. He's a very formidable feline cryptid. No, no, no. He could be one of those, um, the, the poly, polytoed. Oh, what do they call, do they yeah. call them? There's a specific name. I don't remember. Polydactyl cats. Mm, sounds like pterodactyl. I bet you, I bet you Puss in Boots was a polydactyl cryptid. There you go. We solved we, it. We did it. Congratulations. You now have two stories in one. <laughs> Yep. Now on to the one that matters. <laughs> that was your that was your teaser. That was my contribution to the story. You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> zero out of zero research. Don't read it. Don't was, read it anymore. That was the Maddie minute. <laughs> we'll start calling yeah. it that. The oh Maddie minute. <laughs> if I don't get medicated for my ADHD, that we might have one. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know about birds? <laughs> Great. I am the human embodiment. I'm the retriever. Awesome. All right. Let's crack into it. So information was pulled from the following sources. A 2021 History of Yesteryear article by Tim Gebhardt. 2020 Grunge article by Richard Milner. 2018 Atlas Obscura article by Bob Eckstein. 2018 Cultura Collectiva article by Oliver G. Alvar. 2017 All That's Interesting article by Annie Garau. 2017 PBS article by Gene Tempest. 2016 blog post by author Amanda Foreman. There was a 1990 article in a scientific journal that I am not going to read the title of because it will spoil everything, but that was by Herman Herman Play. I did not translate his name. Shit. I'm sorry, Herman, but this is the only place where you're, you're mentioned, so it's fine. Alpha History website, your Holiday Lights blog post, and two Wikipedia articles. I went, I went deep. So You did. I'm very impressed. And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. This is well-rested, Lindsay. Yeah. Investigating after a good night's sleep. Yeah. Just for three days. <laughs> I hibernated, woke up and said, Miracle 1511. Let's yep. do this. Yep. And then I like traveled through the Warren. Awesome. So Maddie, what's the mm-hmm. first thing that comes to mind when I say the word snowman? Shut up. Oh my God. Frosty. Okay. Frosty the Snowman, the really horribly claymated version that, like, you were kind of afraid of as a kid, but, like, were also intrigued to keep watching. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Like, will that happen? And then you're like, will that happen? <laughs> 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 oh my god, is that possible? Like, oh my god, is that possible? Fun fact. Did you know that the first image of a snowman was discovered in the margins of a 1380 medieval devotional titled Book of Hours? No. I mean, it would make sense that snowmen were made in the Middle Ages, but it's literally never crossed my mind once. The manuscript, which can be found at Koninklijke Bibliotheek in the Haug in the Netherlands, includes an illustration of a snowman wearing a hat sitting on a bench, warming up by the fire, slash getting burned by the fire. It's a little unclear. <laughs> I was like, oh, is, he, is he okay? A very unfun fact is that the burning snowman appears to be wearing typical Jewish attire, including a floppy hat with a big sloping nose. So hooray for anti-Semitism. The whole the, the burning thing is not pretty foreshadowing. Nope. No. I suddenly hate all of it now. Thanks. <laughs> and if that doesn't convince you that it's anti-Semitic, how about the writing on the side that announces the crucifixion of Jesus? Oh, so the snowman is melting for our sins against Jesus. Something. I don't know. Okay. Cool. And this was drawn in, in the Netherlands? Or it's in the Netherlands currently? It's in the Netherlands currently. I'm unclear on where the book came from. Who the artist is? Yeah. Google, find him. <laughs> I know he's been dead for a long, long time, but find him. Sick Nick Cage on him. He'll take care of him. Yep. Back in the Middle Ages, snowmen were still something relatively new. Obviously, children were making them as a way to easily entertain themselves during the long winters. Yep. But adults also got into the fun and crafted them as a form of self-expression. That would make sense. Mm -hmm. It'd be a very readily available material, and if your kids are already outside, then you want to make sure they don't get kidnapped or killed. Or just die in the inclement right. weather. She'd be like, look at my snowman! <laughs> like, ah. yep. <laughs> Cities would have outdoor galleries that displayed the various creations of different artists. That's cool. This allowed people to walk around the city to view and discuss the numerous snow people that were part of these outdoor galleries. One such snow festival took place in Brussels in 1481. This craze became so popular, in fact, that in 1494, Piero di Lorenzo de Medici, or Piero the Unfortunate, because he was a bastard, commissioned a then relatively unknown sculptor named Michelangelo to create a <laughs> snowman for the ruler of Florence, Italy, in the Medici courtyard. Cool. I hear he went on to do great things. He's a really great ninja turtle, so... Yes. Cowabunga. <laughs> Cowabunga, dude. I have to say that this would make a great storyline in Doctor Who. Oh. Doctor Who writers, if you're listening, can you just, like, give us $5 when you do it? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know, like a thank you postcard or something? Because, like, could you imagine? Michelangelo made like these like beautiful snow people and then like aliens take over their bodies and like, <laughs> <make it happen. laughs> in Italy and like Doctor Who has to come save the day. TM, 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 gotta call us now. <laughs> I don't have a lawyer, but maybe I will by then. <laughs> Who knows? It's 2022. I still won't. It's fine. Other cities hosted similar snow festivals, such as Mechelen in 1571. Regisel in 1600 and 1603, and Antwerp, where it was an annual occurrence throughout the 17th and 18th centuries. 
Nice. Here's another fun fact for you. Snowmen, at least the early ones in Europe, were used as a form of political protest. Huh. And that is where today's story begins. Doctor Who is involved. <laughs> <laughs> today's topic, the miracle of 1511, took place during the six-week-long winter of death in the country of Belgium, specifically in Brussels, where the residents suffered from consecutive weeks of sub-freezing temperatures. They had a polar vortex, didn't they? Something. Mm. Although no polar bears that I was aware of, which is good. That's good, because that would very much increase <laughs> the death, death toll. toll. <laughs> it's so cold. A polar bear? <laughs> Where did you come from? <laughs> Coke hasn't been invented yet. We're all in danger. <laughs> <laughs> Santa save us. West Central Europe endured a particularly brutal winter in 1510 and 1511 with snow and below freezing temperatures starting as early as mid-November. What are they, babies? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Brussels. At this time in history, Brussels was governed by aristocrats that were part of the Duchy of Brabant in the Habsburg, Netherlands. Okay. Quick pause. The Habsburgs. Put a pin in this because I will come back to this fun family in a little bit. I have a feeling they're not as fun. Oh, it's fun. Okay. So the government included one member of each of the seven noble families of the time, and anyone who wasn't part of the upper class had zero political rights or say in government matters. Sounds about right. Yep. Now, the city of Brussels had considerably high levels of poverty, and there was a huge wealth gap between the governing body and the commoners. There's never any problems in situations like that. I no. Don't know what you're talking about. No. So while the people of the city were freezing and starving to death, mm -hmm. the ruling monarchs of the day, a.k.a. the Habsburgs and their cronies, were living in extreme opulence. So mm -hmm. remember that pin I said about the Habsburgs? Mm -hmm. Here's where we get back to it. So the house of Habsburg comes from the castle that this family occupied, a name. Mm -hmm. And the first documented use of this name goes all the way back to 1108 CE. I'm not going to go into their entire lineage because we'd be here all day, but essentially the family that ruled that area in the 1500s was led by Maximilian I. It's a nice name. It is a nice name. Very regal. Mm -hmm. The reason the Habsburg name is so familiar is the fact that the family practiced inbreeding so much that eventually the male line ended entirely. That's really gross. <laughs> yeah. That's really, really, really awful. Common health impairments that were often associated with this extreme form of inbreeding included epilepsy, insanity, and early death. Yep. Several members of the family also had facial deformities, such as the Habsburg jaw, which was an enlarged lower jaw with an extended chin, the Habsburg nose, which was a large nose with a hump and a drooping tip, and the Habsburg lip, which was an overextended lower lip. So they were extremely. Had a very extreme underbite. Yes. Really severe underbite. Yep. The inbreeding got to the point that the last of the Spanish line of Habsburgs, Charles II, possessed a genome similar to that of a child whose parents were brother and sister. How long did this go on? Like, this family didn't figure it out that this was not a good idea? It went on for, like, hundreds of years. That's awful. Yeah. 
Like, nobody tried. I'm sure people tried to intervene, but, like, dang. And it wasn't, like, brothers and sisters. It was, like, cousins. Yeah. I knew royalty did that. But, like, you would do a cousin in a different country, born of different, like, a third or fourth. And they started it that way, and then it got a little bit closer as far as the cousins and the... Yeah. And this was over hundreds of years, but still, it's kind of a running joke that the Habsburgs were so inbred. Anyway, but going back to the snowmen. Okay. <laughs> the snowmen are inbred. <laughs> they're, they're so inbred. They're from the same cloud. <laughs> <laughs> from the same lake. As a way for the poor people of the city of Brussels to fight back and show their displeasure of their ill treatment by the monarchy, they built 50 scenes and displayed over 110 satirical and salacious snowmen and snowwomen, starting on January 1st, 1511. These frozen, life-size statues depicted prominent government and religious officials in rather scandalous ways, as well as other snow sculptures engaging in less than PG pursuits. In fact, more than half of the snowmen were particularly R, if not X-rated, and several of them involved some form of flatulence or fecal matter. Dang. Do you think they, like, painted them? Or, like, got, like, hay and stuff? And I wonder how detailed they actually got. I don't know, because there's literally no illustrations from this time, yeah. like, documenting this. Yeah, they didn't really do that much. No. And if they did, they did a terrible job. Like those chats with human faces. Yeah. What does a cat look like? Elderly babies. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Benjamin Button babies. (laughs) Examples of these raunchy snowmen include a snow couple having sex near the city fountain, while another snowman with a boner watched. Nice. Several snow women in various states of undress, snow women who hel- held professions such as nuns, seducing men, mm-hmm. and sex workers pointing the way to the red light district. Honestly, could you imagine how, like, knowing the power of Christianity and the Catholic Church during that time, that would have been insane. Could you imagine if you were been caught yeah. sculpting the nuns? Mm-hmm. In Rosendahl, one snowwoman was carefully sculpted so that her breasts and genitals would attract the attention of anyone passing by. I'm sorry. I just... <laughs> like you're going to get your bread and be like, is that a vagina? <laughs> That's the first thing that draws you in. Okay. If you happen to find yourself by the city market, you would have found a sculpture of a snowboy peeing into the mouth of another snowboy. Wow. So who needs Pornhub when you have snow people in 1511? Yep. Another clever statue was that of a snow cow in the middle of taking a dump, while a snow drunk could also be found on the ground drowning amongst his own snowy shit. This is 4chan. It is. This is the precursor to 4chan. Yep. Another fun example was a shitty centaur. That's... I really hope that there there was some volume to it, you know, like it was like an <laughs> ten foot tall centaur. Because I'm I'm picturing these being like super detailed, like oh, really I'm fun. assuming, yeah. And like nobody, like this would have taken time, right? Yeah, some people would have just been like, oh, that's cool. And then, wait, is that a penis? Like, <laughs> oh, that's cool. Wait, is that poop? <laughs> I mean, okay, 
I haven't eaten in three days, so I guess that's fine. <laughs> what? A poet named Jan Smekin wrote an account of the Brussels snow figures, particularly the ones from the poorer side of town, and here's part of it. Quote, in the Rosendal, a wonder was to be seen, a huge, plump woman, completely naked, her buttocks like a barrel, and her breasts finely formed. A dog was ensconced between her legs, her pundinda covered by a rose, end quote. Oh. Yeah, bestiality. Yeah, this is for Jan. <laughs> wow. I guess history really does repeat itself. <laughs> This is really messed up. It took a minute, but then in the 90s when Al Gore was like, let there be internet, this happened and he was like, oh no. (laughs) No, the tubes are now polluted. (laughs) Oh no, it's 1511 all over again. Curse you, Al Gore. Meanwhile, those in the upper class areas of Brussels created their own sculptures and parks and outside private homes, and on street corners. Some of the figures depicted included Jesus Christ and the woman of Samaria, Adam and Eve, Roman deities, Cupid on a pillar ready to shoot an arrow, Uh a preaching friar with a runny nose, Okay, calendar icons such as Janus and Pluto, St. George rescuing a princess from a dragon, Uh various biblical figures, unicorns, the wild man, whatever that is, the sea knight, Roland blowing his horn, a tooth puller, which is weird, and several zodiac creatures. Philip of Burgundy, who was the bastard son of Philip the Good, wasn't so good, I guess, (laughs) and held the title of commander-in-chief of the Netherlands, helped craft an artistically proportioned Hercules outside his home. Of course he did. Yep. A man that his family (laughs) claimed to have as an ancestor. Oh, of course they did. Wow. Yep. Yeah, so history really does repeat itself. Yep. Be like, we want to participate and also humble brag. Like, this is a YouTuber. Yeah. This is what a YouTuber would make. Yep. Right next to their Maserati. Also, Hercules was the subject of several nude paintings that he'd commissioned from court painter Jean Gozert. So this guy was, like, super into this. Could you imagine, though, like, so say you're, like, Making these sculptures to like as a as an fu to like the upper crust, mm-hmm. and then the upper crust thinks it's so great that they start paying you for it, and so you're like, wait, <laughs> do I keep doing it? And it's like, well, I need eat, I need my bread, so like obviously, <laughs> I need to eat. But then, again, that's them just like missing the point entirely. Exactly. Yeah. Congratulations, you did it. <laughs> <laughs> Go you. Mm. In regards to the political snowmen, one was built in front of the Ducal Palace in Hudenburg, which was the then home of Holy Roman Emperor Charles V. The snowman, which was a snow virgin with a unicorn in her lap, was constructed as a form of protest to him being absent and living with his aunt, Margaret of Austria, in Malign, as the residents of Brussels wished to have their ruler actually live in the city that he held rule over. Oh, so they just missed him? <laughs> yeah, they were like, why won't you be here? Like, we love you. I, I made you this unicorn. Yeah. Can I come back? Another sculpture in the Risebrook Quarter was that of a castle that featured a man hiding near another snowman who was defecating. 
Oh, I did translate his name. Herman Play. So I'm sorry, Herman. <laughs> I said your name's super wrong. Herman. <laughs> Herman. <laughs> sorry, Herman. <laughs> <laughs> At least I didn't have to open the cubby. I did it in the same episode. <laughs> cubby was already open. So Herman Play, professor emeritus of medieval Dutch literature at the University of Amsterdam, believes it was built to make fun of a castle commander named Snewint, who had fled when the castle of Puderoya fell under attack. So the defecating man was the guy that ran away. Nice. A scene of elegantly dressed men gambling was constructed near Hootmart, or the wood market, indicating the disruptive nature of the court nobility when they would misbehave in the streets of Brussels. <laughs> there was also a display of frozen politicians that included such feared characters as Redbad, the last monarch of Frisia, who was represented as the devil. Sounds about right. And the enemy ruler of Puderoya. As an interesting aside, many of the poor within the city would destroy the snow creations built by those in the ruling class as another form of rebellion. Nice. But doing this was considered very dangerous, if not downright stupid, unless one wanted to see themselves imprisoned. Because you would get arrested if you got caught. That seems really frivolous, because I would assume it would be a safer assumption that you'd be arrested if you were designing... Yeah. Like a super anti-monarchy sculpture. Mm -hmm. And then if you, like, kicked theirs, you went to prison. But yeah. If you, like, did one of them, like, having intercourse with a, an animal, they'd be like, <laughs> you got me. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. I do bread. enjoy some bestiality. You got me. <laughs> Here's some bread. <laughs> what? That just seems a little silly. I suppose if you're that inbred, you don't have much kind of like yeah. thoughts, maybe. I don't know. These interesting snow sculptures lasted in Brussels for another six weeks until February 12th, 1511, when the weather started to get warmer. All of this melting snow had the unfortunate side effect of causing flooding in Brussels. Mm. The people of Brussels had to take refuge from the floodwaters in their attics, and bridges and homes and mills were left either damaged or completely destroyed. That sucks. Once the floodwaters had cleared, the King of France donated 1,000 gold coins. Today, if you had 1,000 francs, it would be $175. And a ducat, which is what the currency would have been called at that time, is now at an inflation rate of one ducat equaling $150. So with that math, today, a thousand gold ducat would be worth $150,000. Okay, that's better. I was like, so he literally just like threw chocolate coins at them. Said, yeah, pretty much. Good luck. <laughs> and I couldn't convert that to euros or francs or anything else because... It was hard enough just finding how to convert it to dollars. Yeah. So I'm sure it's out there somewhere, but my brain was like, I can't, I don't, I don't know. I don't understand. <laughs> it was, you figure it out. <laughs> yep. So as an aside, it wasn't just Europe that came up with the idea of making snowmen. In Japan, what? snowmen are built for good luck out of two stacked balls of snow. Some are even hollowed out to allow for the placement of a candle. Today, if you visit Sapporo Hokkaido, for their annual snowman festival, you will find over 10,000 mini snowmen that are put on display each winter. That's really cute. Mm -hmm. I like that theirs is for luck, but like I can see why they did it for protest. Yeah. 
Fun fact. The first American records of snowmen date all the way back to 1690. In Eckstein's book, he notes the reference of snowmen in the account of a massacre that took place at the Dutch fort. <gasps> oh, I didn't translate this. Fuck. Schenectady in the English colony of New York. Okay. In the winter of 1690, the fort was hit by a brutal snowstorm that actually froze the doors open. Oh. Yeah. This Dutch fort was constantly under the threat of attack from Canadians and the local First Nation tribes. Which makes sense. Yep. Quote, the gates to the fort were left open, and the two guards, instead of staying on post, went inside the fort to a pub to have a drink. Of course they did. Like, uh uh-oh, can't do anything. We'll be fine. (laughs) They left it unmanned, assuming, wrongly, that no one would be traveling in such severe blizzard conditions. Different (laughs) sources say that there were two snowmen left in their place instead. End quote. Not a good look, guys. Unfortunately for the guards, these frozen scarecrows didn't fool the 210 Canadians and First Nation soldiers. (laughs) Oh no, who've lived there for hundreds and thousands of years before? That were laying in wait for just such an opportunity to strike. And as a result, 60 people were killed that day, and the fort itself was ransacked. I bet the Dutch hated snowmen for that. (laughs) In 1818, a new tradition was started in Zurich, Switzerland, to welcome spring. The blowing up of snowmen. Oh my god, yes. What? When was this? 1818. 1818. Oh god, that sounds like such an 1818 thing. Like, like... We love TNT! Let's do this. This hilarious tradition, known as Sixaliutum, is still celebrated today on the third Monday of April. That makes sense. A cotton snowman, which is called a boog, a boog, a <laughs> is paraded through the city. It's a snowman stuffed with dynamite before it will be placed in the center of town and destroyed. Oh my god. Sounds like something Red Bull would sponsor now. Seriously. (laughs) There's drone footage. There probably is drone footage. I kind of want to Google it later. A boog. A boog. And thanks to the efforts of Prince Albert and Hans Christian Andersen, the concept of the snowman was introduced to the greater world. Prince Albert introduced the snowman to Victorian England after seeing the holiday tradition surrounding it in Germany. He even crafted a 12-foot-tall snowman for his wife, Queen Victoria. It's nice that he took that and left Krampus. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you guys can have that. Hey, beautiful wife, here's Snow Krampus. (laughs) It's going to murder our children. Hans Christian Andersen wordsmithed the snowy creation into his 1861 story, The Snowman in which a lovesick snowman falls in love with a stove, even though he knows its heat will destroy him. Okay. Fun fact, the story of the snowman is actually an homage to Hans's real-life desire for a ballet dancer at Copenhagen's Royal Theater named Harald Scharf. So, so she's the stove? She's too hot to handle? <laughs> He's the stove. Oh, so she loved him? Am no, 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 no. He was in love with another man. Harald. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. No okay. women involved. Two men. Got it. Sorry. It's okay. Okay. But Hans wasn't the stove. Harald was the stove. Harald was the stove. Yeah. You go, Harald. You are too hot to handle. You are. 
Just as with sand, snow is a surprisingly easy-to-use medium for sculptors to use as a means to hone their craft. For example, did you know that on New Year's Day, 1857, Larkin Mead sculpted an eight-foot-tall statue of ice and snow in Vermont? The same Larkin Mead who would go on to sculpt Abraham Lincoln's Springfield tomb. Another battle-centric example of snowmen comes from Prussia, where in 1870, the king attempted to expand his territory by invading Paris. Okay. Everybody just really hates France. They do. <laughs> They're like, we don't like you, but like... We want you? You've got good real estate. We like baguettes. <laughs> We're going to aggressively invest. <laughs> <laughs> During this skirmish, two French soldiers and artists worked to improve the morale of their fellow troops by sculpting snowman. In the Bicetra Fortress, Alexandre Faliger crafted a snowwoman sitting on a cannon, which he called the Resistance. <laughs> and Hippolyte Moulin designed a stoic bust of a snowman in a cap that they referred to as the Republic. That's, it reminds me of when they used to paint the bombs. World War II. Yeah. Unfortunately, the snowmen weren't able to help the French win the War of 1870. Yeah, they didn't win it often. No. But they did eventually always go back to normal. Yeah. Just took some time. And I will end this episode with one final fun fact. I'm ready. The first photograph of a snowman was captured by a female photographer named Mary Dillwyn in 1845. As the camera had just been invented... She holds the dual distinction of taking one of the first photos of anything ever, and it can be seen in the National Museum of Wales. That's awesome. That's really cool. I hope it was like a really dinky, like terrible snowman. It was actually really cool. I will send you a photo okay. of it. Okay, great. It'd be funny if it was just like a... <laughs> like, this is the first picture ever. <laughs> and people are like, what? <laughs> So that was the story of the Miracle of 1511 and the history of snowmen. That's really cool. I like that. Good. Good intro. Figured it was a great way to enter January considering uh, it's still very much winter. Yeah. Can't wait to see what it's going to be like. Yeah. Usually in Minnesota, like once February hits, it's like freezing cold. February is our actual winter. Yeah. Like mid mid January is when it's like, oh, okay, we're here. And then February is like. <laughs> yeah and then march is kind of like that march is like winter coughing yeah and then april winter april, light <laughs> and then april and may are like still definitely winter yeah like don't get existed yeah don't get too excited because it can still blizzard in may yep often does but every other year it's gonna be may blizzard <laughs> six inches of snow then 60 degrees <laughs> floods mud <laughs> Oh, you said you wanted water? It's like, no, 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 we never, we never say that. We literally never say that. <laughs> Hi there, I'm Kona Gallagher. And I'm Ethan Flick. And together, we are the husband and wife team behind And Then They Were Gone, a true crime podcast about unsolved missing persons cases. Each week, we take a deep dive into a case that I have researched and written about and that you have never heard of. Right. And I react naturally and usually leave you with a whole lot of stuff to edit out of the podcast. Very true. 
but I do love getting your analysis and a fresh perspective on these crimes that I've been spending so much time learning about. So you can see us on your favorite podcast app every Wednesday when we release a brand new episode. And find us on the socials at ATTWGPod. And you can also visit us on our website, and then they were gone.com. Could you hold the key to bringing someone home? This week's podcast plug is the And Then They Were Gone podcast. Hosted by the married duo of Kona Gallagher and Ethan Flick. The interesting thing about this podcast is the fact that Kona does all the research and presents the case of the missing individual to Ethan, who is a law enforcement officer. So she can kind of get his insights from that perspective. Interesting. As well as his insights as someone who used to work with Child Protective Services. Oh, so he's had a really hard work life. Yeah. Ouch. Kona does a fantastic job with her research, and Ethan's reactions to the case are fascinating, coming from like a law enforcement and CPS background. Yeah. And he also brings up a lot of valid points as far as like when she's talking about the investigation itself. Like why things were missed or waited. Or- mm-hmm. Yeah. I highly recommend giving it a listen if you enjoy learning about missing persons cases, and we will have a link to it in the show notes. Awesome. And this week's listener question comes from our friend Dustin over at Sandman Stories Presents. Hi, Dustin. And he asks, who would you like to see retried? That's a loaded question. Where do we live? You know, there's a lot of trials that, you know, people will think didn't go the way it should. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to stick to a more personal one. There was a trial that involved a loved one that was killed. And uh, my family did not believe that justice was served. So I would like to have that retried. Yeah. In that, in that time. Right? Yeah. So that it could have been handled differently. Mm-hmm. But I won't go into it. Yeah. Perspective, so yep. That's fine. I'm going to go more current and say Casey Anthony. You bitch. Oh, yeah. So I like yours, but. Yeah. I was like digging in at people, Casey Anthony. People know yours. <laughs> yeah. And Especially they know she's garbage. Not great. Yeah. Not great. On that note, what's something good you'd like to share? Something good. It's funny because there have been a lot of really good, like, little things. But when it comes to this time, you're like, and they're gone. <laughs> like, where did they go? Blank slate. I think my, my one good thing is my work is coming to a close and I have like a pretty solid break thanks to uh, my job. Nice. And so I'm really looking forward to very safely interacting with you and the family mm-hmm. and interacting with my partner's daughter. And one of my favorite things is coming up where it's watching children open presents. Yeah. Like, that's fun. It's, it's really one of the best things ever. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to, we have some activities for the girls nice. this year that will hopefully be better than the gingerbread houses that we <laughs> epically failed to create last year. We tried, but we used like this horrible kit. They're um, so much harder to do than you think they would be. Right. And like now that I've watched probably 8 million baking shows between then and now, I would like make my own binder like mm-hmm. some sort of like i don't know syrup hybrid that would harden fast oh but, yeah you know and then decorate it with frosting or whatever 
Yeah, it was a, it was a royal fail. Like, yeah. we did nothing remained upright after, like, two minutes, so. At least it tastes good. It tastes good. That's fine. It, it did. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to seeing children up in Christmas. That's my one good thing. <laughs> Keeping me going. <laughs> well, when we're recording this, it's not Christmas yet, so. Yeah, that's true. Even though it'll be January when this comes out, we haven't LOL. experienced Christmas yet. <laughs> we'll still be hungover. We're still in the past. <laughs> My good thing. Fuck, I just lost it. Oh, I hate that. What's I going to say? Well, I have something else I can say instead. So I recently asked for a raise. And as a result, yeah. I a promotion to a new Yay! position. And I got a raise. So I'm very excited. I consider myself very lucky that I work at a company where I enjoy what I do. I really like my boss. Mm -hmm. I really like my coworkers. And they acknowledge your hard work. Mm-hmm. And reward accordingly. Yep. It'll be three years in March. So mm -hmm. it was about time to discuss my growth path anyway. Yeah. So yeah. I'm so proud of you for doing that. That's so scary. Oh my God. It's the first time I've ever asked for a raise in like the 38 years of my existence. And I never want to do it again. No. <laughs> it was awful. so nerve wracking. It doesn't matter if it's successful or not. It's the worst feeling. Like, because they always have to go back and make sure that it works. Because mm -hmm. they'll be like, I would love to do that for you, but I have to make sure it works. And then the entire time you're waiting, you're just like, yeah. <laughs> like vomiting and yeah. sweating. So much sweating. So much sweat. All right. Shall we? We shall. You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yieldcrimepod, on Instagram at yieldcrimepodcast, and we recently set up a Facebook page because I like oh, pain. Wow. You're in Spain, probably is. Yep. So I'm sorry. We set up a meta page, and you can find us at Yield Crime Podcast. Is it officially meta now? No, it's still Facebook. Oh. It might be meta by the time this comes out. I don't know. Yeah. We're also on YouTube if you like that format. Mm -hmm. We have a P.O. Box if you'd like to send us something in the mail. And you can do so at Yield Crime, P.O. Box 341, Wyoming, Minnesota 55092. You can email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Submit your questions. We are getting low on questions. So please send some our way. Or if you have story suggestions, you can send those in as well. Mm -hmm. A great way to support the show if you'd like to help out, but you can't do so financially, which makes sense considering it's after the holidays. Yeah, good luck, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I believe in you. Just the season for taxes. You can leave us a review, hopefully five stars, on Apple Podcasts, <laughs> Podchaser, Good Pods, and you can now leave reviews on Spotify. What? That's exciting. And this review comes from Apple Podcasts from our friend Goodnight Paula. And it says, interesting topics, five stars, that I've never heard before. I listen to a lot of true crime and paranormal, so it's really refreshing to hear stories I've never heard before. Ye old brings that and much more. Good chemistry, funny, smart conversation, and great research. Nice. Thank you. Thanks, Paula. If you'd like to support us financially, we're never going to be like, no, don't do that. <laughs> Now. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want it. We don't want your money as our hands are out and we're grabbing it from you. <laughs> money, please. No. How dare you? You can do so on Buy Me a Coffee for a one-time donation, or you can join our Patreon uh, and become friends with other great patrons such as Juline, Aaron, Kara, and our newest patron, Justin. Hey, welcome. Thanks, everybody. Mm -hmm.
As far as merch is concerned, we are switching vendors. So we are moving from TeePublic over to Redbubble. I am hoping that by the time this episode comes out, we will have made the full transition. Oh my god, please, during, like in the middle of this, if we have the transition... Do like a really poorly done edit where like the sound volume's different and you're like, you can log on to our red bubble. <laughs> you just incorporate the link that we clearly didn't have at this time. Exactly. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale. As old as crime.